the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. As we head into Hour 2, you missed both of us as we would normally be on air uh, here yesterday. We were uh, engaged otherwise. Um, the other part of us that I am referring to is my good friend, Hugh Hallman. He is sitting across the uh, table from me in our studio. Delighted to have you here, Hugh. He is the former mayor of Tempe. He is an attorney in town. He is a uh, he is a um, just a man of many parts, an educator and uh, counselor and uh, good friend. It's good to see you, brother. It is great to be seen. It's good to see you. And yes, a man of many parts falling apart. No, but seven you're not, hours. You're not Catholic. I, you went through purgatory yesterday. Uh, seven. It wasn't purgatory. It was seven hours of fascination of watching. Um, an important topic be discussed seriously by some and badly by others. It was interesting, and the major uh, point of the testimony was a woman who lost her position at Arizona State University at the at the um, at the Lewis Center. Yeah. yeah, at the Lewis Center, but really connected to the Barrett Honors College, and the Lewis Center is a agency that was created, uh, funded in part by Tom Lewis, um, local builder here, who endowed the center with about 40% of its funding, its purpose to provide students at the Honors College in particular with coursework and programs that would help them uh, advance their careers once they left the university. So give them some practical experience, some practical advice, some practical coursework that would allow them to find good employment and achieve uh, valuable work in their lives and, one would hope, then advance their health, their wealth, and their happiness. And in fact, that is the subject of what occurred and was the topic yesterday, that the uh, Lewis Center was putting on a program that was geared toward students at the university to learn about how to develop and enhance their wealth, their health, their wealth, and their happiness. And the controversy was not the topic, but the speakers who would be speaking on those topics, and specifically Charlie Kirk and Dennis Prager um, among four. And it was really Dennis Prager probably that was the most uh, cause of the greatest lightning. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Most controversial because Charlie wasn't even on the panel; he was just doing introductory remarks. And yeah, right. and it is as got teased out uh, because he holds views that are anathema to the hard left. Things like the biblical view that marriage is uh, between a man and a woman, and that would be one man and one woman, not two men, a woman and their monkey, and that that would be his serious position. And that there are, created by God, two genders, uh, male and female. And that even came up yesterday in the testimony, but we'll get to that in a moment. So here we have the setting where the university is going to have a program on uh, health, wealth, and happiness that includes Dennis Prager as a speaker. And 
39, I understood, although the number kept getting tossed around differently yesterday, but I believe it was 39 faculty members, professors from the Barrett Honors College, signed a letter uh, denouncing the program. And what was fascinating is the facts are the facts. This is a letter called a petition issued by these 39 faculty members writing as faculty members of the Barrett Honors College. We, the faculty members of the Barrett Honors College, stop. That is using your title, using your authority, using your position at a state university to decry an event at that university that you find offensive. Okay, well, one certainly can understand that people can disagree and can disagree about subjects and even complain that such subjects would take place. But it was the measure and the, the character of the letter that really caused the offense because the entire point of the letter was to call Dennis Prager, effectively call Dennis Prager, a white nationalist. Here is somebody who has written extensively and maybe the leading author on, on Judaism and the Holocaust and uh, what has happened to Jews in the last century being called a white nationalist. The most offensive thing one could imagine being called uh, as a devout Jew, that that is someone who aligns with the Nazi party. That is white nationalism. And yet the left's defense of this was that this is freedom of speech. Now, the Supreme Court of the United States has helped us all understand what our First Amendment sets out as our right to free speech. Congress shall make no law abridging free speech, effectively, press, etc. And the Supreme Court has teased out over the last 220 years or so what that means and put some limits on it, really starting in the uh, early 1900s with a case, as I recall, it was written by uh, Oliver Wendell Holmes, that uh, the opinion that one cannot effectively shout fire in a crowded theater. Right, Shank v. U.S., right. Was Holmes, though, wasn't it? Yeah. And that has since been revised and and, uh, written, and it includes all kinds of discussion about what is defamation and what is actionable uh, defamation, libel and slander against elected officials and private people and all sorts of things like that. With most recently a case involving uh, a uh, an ugly organization that calls itself a church that would uh, was primarily protesting at funerals for veterans. Military funerals, yeah. And um, that resulting opinion set the standard a little more clearly that one cannot utter phrases that would incite uh, violence immediately. Let's just use that as kind of the placeholder way to think of it. But that most other speech is protected. Now, doesn't mean we like it. Um, but the left has gone to start using a phrase hate speech in order to label speech they don't like and demonstrate that the person who's uttering such phrases must be a hateful human being who should be excoriated and ignored and ostracized and marginalized from the conversation in the public arena. That is hate speech, according to the left. And so what Dennis Prager might utter is hateful speech. 
and therefore he's a white nationalist who should be marginalized and disregarded. And yet their use of those kinds of phrases is their exercise of their First Amendment rights protected in the envelope of academic freedom because they're professors of a university. And yet the left excused that yesterday. You had four members of the House and Senate in this joint committee from the Democratic Party who were turning themselves into pretzels to defend the right of these ASU professors to use their title and positions of power as professors to defame someone and worse, to use their classroom and university resources to promulgate their complaints. That there was at least one documented professor, professor documented as having used one class and a half of another class to dissuade students from attending this horrible event. And the conclusion of the hearing for the four Democrats yesterday was, well, the event took place and therefore there wasn't any, any kind of infringement on the First Amendment rights of those who were seeking to put on the program or speak at the program by virtue of the fact it took place. Now, that would be the equivalent in their voting rights views that if minorities actually vote, then we can't ever argue that there's any minority suppression of vote. And yet they argue exactly that, that not giving somebody a ballot at their home that they can mail in or have some person pick up and hand deliver to the ballot box is somehow voter suppression, even though most of those, if not all of those people vote nonetheless, that you can all still vote on Election Day. I don't see anybody preventing minorities from voting at polling places, and yet they decry any kind of effort to protect the ballot as voter suppression of minority rights. And yet yesterday they defended this clear bullying and obnoxious behavior, if not arguably defamation against Dennis Prager as free speech. And clearly they committed no wrong because the event still took place, diminished as it may have been. Thank you for that. Perfectly laid out. And then there was the after effects of the speech, too. And one has to question whether that constitutes freedom of speech. And we'll talk about that when we come back. Please. Hugh Hallman is my guest. He and I will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. Six zero two five zero eight zero nine six zero is the number. Hugh Hallman is my guest in studio. We were talking about the hearing that uh, took place at the uh, joint session of the legislature yesterday. By the way, the video is posted on our website for those that want to watch it that weren't able to attend if they are interested. You just go to 960thepatriot.com, our website, and then you go to the Seth Leapson show page, and young David was kind enough, to, young David who was also there, was kind enough to post the video and audio uh, on our website. Hugh, this notion, this other, this other argument that ASU was putting forward you had your event, free speech abided, is undermined by, well, Dennis Prager actually told a pretty good joke from Soviet Union days where the old joke was the difference between the Soviet Union and the United States is the Soviet Union says they have free speech, but the United States says they have freedom after speech. That is to say there's not a consequence. There's not a punishment. It's not free if you are punished for 
utterances for giving that speech. That would be called a chilling effect. That would be called a chilling effect. It would also be called punishment for speech, which is the opposite of freedom of speech. It would show that there is a prohibition on that speech because you will face a sanction for giving that speech. And two people were fired. Two people who administered that event on health, wealth, and happiness with Dennis Prager were fired. And Atkinson and Linda Blake from Grady Gamage. I have no idea how they can say this with a straight face. They do it by saying, well, you know, these are the these are the wages because Ann Atkinson testified that someone from ASU, I just don't remember who, but it was in her testimony. Nancy Gonzalez, the provost. Older Nancy Gonzalez, the provost, said, what, how did she put it? She said, she you said, can have your event, the but, testi- could, but you have to face the consequences. That's correct, yeah. that that, uh, that you can have the freedom of speech, but then you have to pay, pay the, the consequences price, yeah. of that, that speech. And right. so that effectively was that you put on this event. Uh, now, let's be very clear and in fairness. The, the left response was that Tom Lewis voluntarily withdrew his funding. And that's what then caused the Lewis Center to be shut down and Anne to lose her position because it was no longer funded. The testimony, however, said that uh, after Tom Lewis was attacked roundly by these same faculty members uh, and that ASU was engaging in selling its soul and uh, putting donors above students, that was the left's view, that students can't be allowed to hear these kinds of things. That's effectively, let's understand that. That students should not be subjected to the likes of speech from Dennis Prager. Funded not, by Tom Lewis. Funded by Tom Lewis, not on topics that were political, but on topics of what is happiness? Somebody who's written extensively and thought extensively about these things as a, as a very religious fellow. Um, and so that can't be allowed. We must stop that. Now, they didn't stop it ultimately, and that's ASU's defense. It wasn't stopped. Let's be real clear. It was a diminished event significantly for several reasons. First, you had protesting professors out in front of the event to assure that students would not want to go to the event because they'd, they're not stupid. I'm going to walk past a professor to go to this event who is going to issue the grade that I'm to receive in that class. And my appeal right, says ASU, is to anonymously contact our anonymous appeal line and complain about the fact that I may feel threatened. Yeah, let's see. So Ann Atkinson goes to the provost of the university and says, I have people who are ready to fund the center and continue its programs. And the answer was not interested. Right. And now you're telling me that the safe place to go, the safe haven is to contact the same ultimate administrators to rely on them to mete out justice if I am damaged by a professor who decides to punish me for going to listen to the likes of Dennis Prager, the horror. And then Christine Marsh's defense. She's a Democratic legislator, senator. Uh, who says, of course, the reason these faculty members wrote this letter was because they were trying to channel the feelings <laughs> of the students who would feel belittled or badly as a result of Dennis Prager's views, whether or not they ever went to the event, right? That Dennis Prager might be speaking at Arizona State University at Gamage Auditorium is enough to shatter their world. And therefore, in advance of that potential shattering we must write a letter decrying this event. That's the logic. That is the logic, 
Ms. Marsh, really? And you're going to apply that standard the next time that somebody from the left shows up and is harassed in the same way. I don't think so. I'm pretty confident not. These are the people who said the summer of destruction in Los Angeles and Portland was mostly peaceful protests and now are losing their minds over January 6th. At least I sit with a man who decried both the destruction of the summer of love of 2020 and the January 6th destruction to our capital, as do I. And that is the most important lesson coming out of this is please do watch this hearing. And there are really primarily two pieces you need to watch. You need to watch the testimony of Ann Atkinson talking about the treatment she received and the facts. And then you need to watch the summary argument by a young man who with no notes (laughs) spun one of the most beautiful closing arguments about this entire nonsense, and that is Mr. Liebson. Watch that. It is an education in oratorical skill. It was rhetoric that was beautifully woven. And most important, it is a wonderful primer to these issues and how the left is twisting everything that's going on to try to take all opportunity for the right to express itself, to use these kinds of phrases like white nationalist and Nazi and hate speech to marginalize the speakers and prevent the utterance in the first instance. That's what's going on here. To the point that, and perhaps when we come back we can talk about this, we had one of these brilliant legislators decrying hate speech. And when uh, the chairman of the Senate side of this, Anthony Kern, and ultimately even J.D. Mesnard pointed out that there is no such thing in a legal definition of hate speech— that's in quotation marks. Hate speech, hate speech is what the person decrying it is claiming is offensive and hurtful. I get that. Many people say hurtful things on a daily basis, but it doesn't make it illegal. That is to say, it is still protected speech. And when Anthony Kern pointed out to this moronic legislator that hate speech isn't a defined concept in the law and that it is what each person argues that they dislike, but it is still protected. The Democrats tweeted out that Anthony Kern as chairman would say that hate speech is uh, free speech, despicable. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that demonstrates that they're morons and or totalitarians because what they want is complete control of what gets uttered. And if they don't like it, they call it hate speech and therefore it's no longer free speech, according to them. That's beautiful, Hume. Thank you for that. Um, let me let me um, put a few more uh, guilds on that, Lily, when we come right back. And folks are welcome to call in as well, 602-508-0961. Thank you for your kindest of words. Uh, undeserved, but very kind. Not undeserved. Please, ladies and gentlemen, watch that bit of video. It's fabulous. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Are global leaders developing solutions that promote freedom and quality of life, or are they creating problems and forcing solutions that only benefit the elite? Midas Gold Group believes it's the latter. From draconian COVID restrictions, the decimation of small businesses, and changed election laws, which may have led to a Biden presidency, Midas believes your finances will be next. Under the guise of protecting you, you'll get monetary expansion, national debt, and reduced purchasing power. 
and their central bank digital currency will virtually eliminate your savings and purchasing privacy. The answer? Convert a portion of your savings or IRA to physical gold and silver. Precious metals are a private currency used to store wealth throughout history. Hundreds of you have trusted the veterans at Midas Gold Group. They're fighting for your financial freedom and privacy. Call the Midas Gold Group today at 480-360-3000. It's 480-360-3000. Or visit them online at MidasGoldGroup.com. The only precious metals dealer, Seb Gorka, and I trust and use. Hugh Hallman is my guest, former mayor of Tempe, attorney, civic um, civic leader. Talking about the testimony that you were so, gosh, generous to sit through the whole day. It went, as David was pointing out, more than double the time it was scheduled to be, uh, more than twice the time it was scheduled for. There's so much to say that um, Dennis Prager's testimony was kind of, in its own um, unique way, devastating in a, in a, on a different set of levels, too. He was talking about being denounced as a white nationalist by uh, faculty at something calling itself an honors college. And he wanted, on the record, and for anyone in the public to hear or see, to understand just who these esteemed faculty are who sat and put him in the dock and could sit in judgment of him. This is the Barrett Honors College at ASU. And I think people should take a look at who these faculty are who held him in contempt. Um, Meet a few of them, shall we? Please. There's Professor Dagmar Van Ingen, who on the website, this is ASU is proud of this. This is just taken from their ASU biographies. A non-binary individual whose preferred pronouns is they and whose current project argues that transness is central to queer and feminist science. And he's the author of a book called How to, a word I legally cannot say. Starts with an F. Starts with an F. How to, word that starts with an F, a kraken. Cephalopod sexualities and non-binary genders in ebook erotica. That's one of them. There's uh, Lisa uh, Barca, whose area of expertise includes feminism and gender studies and whose recent research uses an eco-feminist approach to the intersections of speciesism and other forms of discrimination. Speciesism. There's Alex Young, a scholar of transnational settle, transnational settler colonialism. There's David Agrus, who has done research in gender and sexuality studies, post-colonial studies, queer theory, and animal studies and who filed a lawsuit against Montana State University saying he was denied tenure and fired because he is gay. Joseph O'Neill, who recently led a seminar on the whitewashing of ancient Greece and Rome. Rachel Fedok, whose research interests include feminist ethics, black feminism, abolition, gender, and race. Rebecca Soares, an an editor of The Female Fantastic, gendering the supernatural in the 1890s and 1920s. He made another interest. Do, do, Do these faculty teach and study anything other than gender? Or sexual Gender, activity. Or yes. sexual activity. That's, it seems to be that that is the coin of the realm for academ- academia at the Barrett Honors College. What are they teaching these kids? Having gone to Arizona State University and having been in the third class of what was then called the Honors Program, mm-hmm. the original concept of the Honors Program was to take uh, the best and brightest students at ASU and provide them a much more rigorous curriculum, which included very deep history studies. And it was actually the course was called The Human Event, taken off of David Bernowski's um, The Ascent of Man. 
and other equally uh, robust courses with seminars that required engagement by students in Socratic discussion. I do understand that continues, that the human event core course is still taught. My oldest son attended Barrett uh, and attended those classes. In fact, he asked for advice, I will say quite proudly, when he wrote a paper uh, on uh, a, a Greek matter and had to belittle the professor for choosing the uh, particular translation because he felt with his Greek knowledge, which was extensive, is extensive, that the translation was quite bad and that one of the, he dropped a footnote in his paper, said, son, you're trying to get this professor to give you a good grade and you've dropped a footnote that essentially says, dear professor, you're an idiot. Well, it may be closer to the truth. That you've got students who have been trained to go, and now you've got faculty members who are so focused on narrow uh, topics of social uh, concern of the left that they no longer have room to understand that the goal of a university is to expose people to a broad range of ideas to help them develop crucial, critical thinking skills. And maybe we can pick up. Yeah, I want to pick up on that when we come back. Hugh Hallman, I'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. I am Seth Leibson. It is a delight to have my dear friend Hugh Hallman uh, sitting in studio with me. We usually visit on Tuesdays, but uh, we were otherwise occupied yesterday at the state capitol, and Hugh was doing a wonderful job of talking about what took place at the hearings yesterday, which all came out of an event that took place in February, where uh, ASU violated not only its own standards, but I would suggest the First Amendment that as a public university— it is required to maintain and uphold. It, it is one, one, one line. I'll go to a call in a second here, Hugh. But there is something very interesting about the state senator who goes to a hearing on free speech and broadcasts an ignorance of the law on free speech that is so ignorant there's not a law professor in the country that would have agreed with her. Not one. There's not a law professor in the country that would agree with her that hate speech is not protected speech or that there is a legally definable. She then asks for legislative counsel to come in and define whether hate speech or to determine whether hate speech is in fact protected or not because she didn't believe the senators who tried to correct her. So House counsel or uh, Senate counsel comes – committee counsel comes in and states the – well, it's obvious. George, the obvious. As George Orwell said, we have now arrived at a point where restatement of the obvious is the first task of the intelligent, most important task of the intelligent. And then she goes on not to believe him. She, said, she, she wants the expert to come in, right, David? She wanted the expert to come in. He came in and said what everyone else knows, and then she chose not to believe him and continue to say hate speech is not. I, who and in are fact, these claim, people? Who are cla- these people? She claimed that, of course, well, there's, there's a case out there that says that hate yeah. speech is not protected. Yeah. I'm sorry, madam. You're an idiot. Um, You know, she was decrying the, uh, among other things, the uh, colonialism and colonizing languages while opening her testimony uh, and her presence in Spanish. And a few, more than a few of us wanted to say, you, you realize, madam, that as she was talking about her people, she's a Native American, that uh, her people did not speak Spanish uh, when the Spaniards arrived and colonized Central and South America and part of North America. Uh, but apparently she 
doesn't understand that either, uh, but, you know, did want to, us to reflect on, and I quote, the genesis of Native Americans, unquote, and everybody... Thrice stated. Yes, genesis. everybody eventually understood she meant genocide. Why? Because she was angry, it seemed, that Dennis Prager, an expert on the Holocaust was somehow being defended by people on the right who wouldn't take up arms about her particular cause. And I just wanted to say, Madam, you weren't called a white nationalist. She was we, a we senator, can talk about you at some other time, but this man was called a white nationalist by a state university staff <laughs> using state university computers and using state university resources and holding themselves out as the professors the faculty of barrett that is barbara and craig barrett's namesake honors college and then pretending that their position of power with students didn't count and yet are these the same legislators who would have agreed that women who are forced into sexual relationships with white male bosses weren't succumbing to a power play you, you can't have it both ways ladies yes it was for four ladies no. well no it wasn't I, I, i'm not sure i'm not sure how once four ladies i do do not know how lauren austin identifies and to be fair so we had annalise ortiz who in response to one of the uh, folks testifying who explained, you know, the, the, the big issue was whether or not marriage is between a man and a woman and there are only two genders. She then announced, I am terribly offended by those positions because I am a pansexual. Now, that was in the testimony. And I just, I was scratching my head thinking, so we're making your sexual interests now official uh, part of this transcript and part of the testimony, and you think... And the criteria for offense. The that, criteria that, for that's offense. That's right, that yeah. she happens to be a pansexual, which raised the question, in light of marriages between a man and a woman and there are two genders, that her point would be that she views that there are more than two genders, and it, it really did pose the question, okay, madam, you've now admitted you've had sex with at least one man and at least one woman because you've said you're a pansexual but what else have you enjoyed because clearly there are professors at the barrett honors college who are writing papers about what were these topics yes so uh, not to bring the female fantastic gendering the supernatural gendering the supernatural so ghosts yes yes ghosts and don't forget animalism yes right so goats ken is in tempe hello ken um, hi, Seth. I just wanted to, to uh, say I, I watched uh, yesterday. Uh, my affiliation with ASU goes back to 1971 when I started as an undergrad. Got a graduate degree. I actually worked at ASU for quite a few years. Um, so I appreciate Ms. Ms. Atkinson and her pushing back. Um, having worked with a number of faculty members and staff administrators over the years and and a group of us tried to push back. I, I think it has to do, I mean, maybe it's the academic freedom that they think they're kind of, a lot of them, there's a lot of wonderful faculty members, but a lot of them are just believe they're above and beyond the law, yeah. and they're beyond reproach, and there's a lot of hubris. You know, it's and an interesting way to put it, Ken. Things. Thank you. you know, I'll let you say, I didn't mean to cut you off, I just wanted to interject this one point. While they think hate speech isn't protected and that they get to decide what constitutes hate speech, I'll tell you there is a category of speech that is not protected. 
It's called defamation. Defamation is not protected speech. And they defamed people on paper using university resources. State action. And and that's why I was pleased to see you and Dennis both pushing back very hard. And not only that, I was at the health, wealth, and happiness session. Oh, yeah. I was there. I walked through the protesting uh, teachers um, and talk about and, and we had we were hassled trying to get in. My mm-hmm. wife had to take her little bitty purse back to the car and so forth because yep. um, the security was so tight. But yeah, it was mostly it was there weren't a lot of students nope. there. It was a lot of you know older people because they um, wouldn't advertise. You know, they wouldn't allow the advertising for to, to the students. Yeah, the only I, advertising yeah, I they I could heard, do was through this radio show to the community, yeah, the adult community at large. Yeah. And and to think, to, I was sat in the session, health, wealth, and happiness. Right, right. That's what it was all about. Right, right. This right. is insane. It's and these insane. people need to be pushed back. People need to be fired. People, you know, I was there with the Frank Kush. I was there for <laughs> a whole lot of things. A whole lot of <laughs> heard that. things that happened. And and by, just as an aside, um, for Mister Hallman, I, I knew your dad, the coach, at it, when I was at Arcadia. In the what year did you graduate Arcadia, Ken? Yes. Yeah. What year did you graduate? Um, 71. Oh, wow. And he's a, he was a wonderful yeah. guy. Yeah. Thank you very much. Um, this is very kind. Yeah. Thank you, Ken. Bless you, sir. Anyway, Thank you. so keep, keep pushing. Thank keep you, pushing Ken. against the issue. You bet. Boy, I have two of the best teachers, and their names are Hallman. <laughs> Lewis and Lou. Two ge- three generations of Hallmans have taught me. Your dad, you, and your son. We'll be right back. You think about the economy, folks. You think about bank failures and stock market volatility and talk of a possible recession on the horizon and, of course, inflation, which is anything but transitory. And you ask, where do you go to invest? Well, why refi has an investment in a portfolio with a high fixed rate of return not correlated to the stock market or the Fed. A portfolio where you can turn your monthly income on or off. You can compound it, whatever you like, with no loss of principal if you need your money back at any time. There are no fees in this secure collateralized portfolio from Y-Refi, and they're headquartered here locally. Locally. I encourage you to stop by their offices on Scottsdale Road in the 101. I've been there. And you won't get a sales pitch. They leave that to me. No one's going to ask you to sign a thing. But when you do meet with the team at Y-Refi, you'll see why I like and trust them so much, and you will too. Y-Refi is a due diligence proof firm, and you can earn up to a 10.25% rate of return. That's right, a 10.25% fixed rate of return. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com, or give them a call at 888-YREFI-34. Hugh, thank you, Hallman. Hugh Hallman, thank you for being with us uh, today, and thank you for everything you do. Um, One of the things that was exposed yesterday is that the Democrats at the joint session of the legislature that we were at, they don't know what the heck they're talking about. They are using terms. They have no idea what they're talking about. You were telling me on the break, you were reminding me on the break about their misuse of another phrase. Well, certainly demonstrated a pattern of... Uh, that the left has engaged in for some time now, and that is using words that mean something, used to mean something, to excoriate, to to label people on the right in order to shut them up, to label people in extreme circumstances or using extreme language like Nazi or white supremacist, uh, that utterances are hate speech. These the misuse of those terms to label someone to marginalize them and to shut them up is the game is to make them appear to be evil. And yesterday at the conclusion of seven hours of hearings, the Democrats 
put out press releases and tweets and spoke directly into the microphone saying that this was a show trial. Even that is an example of the misuse of an important concept. During Soviet times, Stalin had many of his political enemies brought before the court effectively and tried for treason and other crimes. And most of them were beaten and tortured in order to cause them to confess so that he could demonstrate that they were the sort of evil against the movement he was uh, moving toward to protect the people and in, in bring in a full volume of communism. That is now what the left is engaging here in, is using language to shut up those who believe in principles like freedom of speech and expression and the import that that is. Because if we cannot have conversations about differences of opinion and work through issues to try to achieve great results, we will have lost this. And certainly the extreme example is the Soviet Union having a constitution that uh, determined that it would protect individual freedom. What matters is not the policy or the statement of the policy. It matters the implementation. ASU failed in its implementation of free speech principles, and we all need to start pushing back on that. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.